0: Welcome to the WEPC Discipleship Podcast, because the gospel changes everything. Also, the fact that I don't have handouts this week, please blame it on Joe. Um... He emailed me and said I could use a PowerPoint or have handouts, and I was like, I've used PowerPoint before, and that's why you don't have a handout. just going to blame him. Hey, does anyone remember the definition that was given last week for deconstruction? Which one? The bad one? (laughs) But not the bad one, the negative one. That's how it was described, the negative definition. It's a good definition. It's not a bad one. It's just a, a negative view of deconstruction. There we go. Yeah, so she sti- what was that? Away. Yeah, critically examining your faith and then walking away from it after that point. Uh, the definition that's given in the book Death to Deconstruction by Josh Porter says Deconstruction, as it is pop- popularly understood, is a violent, reactive dismantling and demolition of faith and belief. Transformation unfolds within the sacred community of the Jesus movement submitted to the scripture and to the teachings of Jesus. Deconstruction leaves home or tears it down. So if we think of it as construction being building something up, deconstruction is tearing it down. And there are some things that have happened within American Christianity in the past few hundred years that absolutely need to be torn apart. However, the difference between good things being removed and these bad things being removed is the difference between spiritual formation and deconstruction. Faith growing into what it's meant to be is spiritual formation. Faith leaving the house is deconstruction. I wanted to review that before we jumped in um, to what I'm going to talk about today. I'm specifically going to talk about Gen Z. Deconstruction is also happening among millennials and we can have that conversation as well. But where I work directly with Gen Z, this has been a popular topic. And so I want to talk about, if we're going to talk about deconstruction, let's take a little bit of time to talk about who's deconstructing. Does that make sense? Yeah, can you next slide please? So we're going to get there. I've got that in the slides. I've got that in the slides. Um, but before we jump into that, I want to read two passages in Scripture. Um, I would ask you to read out loud, but that was that's a little smaller than I thought it was going to be, which is not a big deal, not a huge deal. But what we have here is Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 through 25. Is there anyone who's able to read it? So right after God displays his greatness in these plagues against Egypt and he leads the Israelites out of Egypt and allows them to plunder Egypt on the way out so they have everything they need and then literally splits the Red Sea open and allows them to cross and this chapter starts with them praising God for it. The very next passage is did he just bring us out here to kill us? Can I do the next slide? Um, Anyone able to read this one? Go for it. It is Mark chapter 8, verses 14 through 21. Thank you, thank you. Um, So there is a point to this passage that I'm I'm not quite driving at the point of the passage. There's just something I want to point out. It's the fact that these disciples had seen Jesus take five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000 people. And he'd seen them take a few loaves and a few fish and feed 4,000 people. When Jesus tells them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, their first thought is, we don't have bread we have one loaf i don't know if you're like me at all but i tend to read passages like this and passages of israel in the old testament and say like 10 minutes ago you were fine like 10 minutes ago you saw a miracle why in the world are you thinking you're in a lot of trouble now like the red sea was just parted for you i think he knows how to handle water or he fed five thousand people with just a few loaves and a few fish and you're worried that you've only got one bit of bread. I can be super, super judgmental of them until I realize I freak out about money when the Lord has always provided a for me. Until I realize that I worry about this thing and that thing even though I've got so many stories of the Lord's faithfulness in all those areas. It's so easy to look at people who are having a certain problem or a certain struggle and say, what's wrong with you? You should know better. I do it all the time and so I say that to say I really want to make sure and I know Joe mentioned it last week but I want to mention it again this week I want to make sure we're approaching this with as much humility as possible the culture that Gen Z is growing up in is not the culture we grew up in and even I like I'm not a very old person at all I'm I'm not Gen Z, though, and what has changed in high school since I graduated in 2015 versus now, you would think it was a 20-30 year difference. Mm -hmm. So it's important that we approach this with the idea that, yes, we may not struggle with these things. Yes, we may have different problems, and yes, this may not be an issue for us at all, (coughs) but it may have been if we grew up in this time. I'm going to describe some things that the church has done wrong and that individual Christians have done wrong. What I am not doing is accusing you. I have not met most of you in this room for more than a few minutes at a time. And the ones that I have, I have nothing but a favorable opinion towards. I say that to keep stones from being thrown. (laughs) But I will say have the humility to stop and say, Hey, that may sound like me. And I'm not accusing anything of West End Presbyterian Church. I've been here since October of 2019. I'm coming up on three and a half years. It's not like I have all the experience with everything this church has done right and wrong. But I want us to approach this and not say, Oh, that's just Gen Z. The kids today, they've got so many problems. Gosh, these kids today. And I don't want us to look at it and say, Well, I would never have that problem. I want us to actually take a realistic look at Gen Z today. With that being said, let's define Gen Z. So, if you can't see, uh, all this information, by the way, I have gotten most of it from Dr. Tanita Maddox. She has received a master's in, I've got it written down here, excuse me, a master's in Christian leadership from Fuller Theological Seminary and a doctorate in ministry from Phoenix Seminary. She did her dissertation on ministry to Gen Z. So that's where I'm getting the majority of this information. Information that's not from her, I'll cite that as well. Um, Millennial, from 1980 to 1993. If you were born between 1980 and 1993, you are a millennial. Good job. (laughs) If you were born from 94 to 96, they're defining that now as a millennial. The reason why has something to do with regular technology versus smart tech. Between 94 and 98... Smart tech was probably introduced to adolescence. After that point, smart technology was introduced to childhood, which almost makes a generational split even though it was only four years. Gen Z, is 1999, we don't know where it ends yet. Typically, you don't know where a generation ends until that generation has grown up. But we don't know where Gen Z ends yet, but we know it starts at 1999. So here's a few fun facts about Gen Z, what makes them unique. Uh, They're digital natives. They grew up with access to not just computers that work well and not just cell phones that text and call. They grew up with smart tech, smart phones, smart TVs, smart watches. They grew up with social media, where that was invented really with millennials. They grew up in this digital world. And Tanita Maddox puts it this way, that their first language is digital. Face to face is the second language, which is why. You will often see a lot of kids at a table texting each other. We laugh and say, hey, you're across the table from each other. Just talk. But if I'm in a Spanish speaking country and someone speaks English, I'm not gonna rely on my limited knowledge of Spanish. They're talking in their first language. And part of that is growing up with smart tech. And part of that is growing up in a pandemic where they had to do everything digital. We say, yeah, that was only two years, but when your brain is forming during those two years, It has an impact. They're the first post-Christian generation, as in, we're seeing atheism rise and Christianity drop with with Gen Z. Millennials at least grew up in the church. A lot of Gen Z isn't. They're always under this high pressure. Think about this. When we grow up, our realm of comparison were the people in our schools and the people on our streets. Gen Z is the first global generation. Their realm of comparison is the entire world. Who they are comparing themselves to is who is being lifted the highest. And part of that is social media. Who's getting the most likes? Who's getting the most comments? Who's getting the most follows? They're always comparing themselves to the greatest of their generation. And that's not to say we shouldn't aspire to that greatness. It's good to aspire to be something bigger, something more. That's something good. But when every single comparison you make is not with the smartest kid in your class, but the kid that's already in Harvard at 16, you're way behind. You're way behind, and you're failing completely. They're also the first mostly non-white generation in American history. The majority of Gen Z is not white. This was funny, because when I sent Joe this presentation say, hey, can you look at this, tell me it looks good, he said, hey, did you know there's all white kids in your slide about mostly non-white generation? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> there's that. <laughs> so, here's the thing, though. Do you know how they think we see them? Do you know how Gen Z thinks we feel about them? Lazy. Lazy. Lost. Lost. Here's some words that Gen Zers have used to describe how they feel older generations feel about them. Lazy. <laughs> Fragile. Problematic. Incapable. Weak. Entitled. And over-emotional. How can we expect a generation to hear this about themselves all the time? and not break away from the rest of us. And something about Gen Z that was pointed out by Tanita Maddox was this, that they grew up with three things that even I, at 26 years old, did not have to grow up with. And that is social media, we've talked about that, and I wanna get more on the impact of social media on Gen Z has had such a major negative impact but we're going to get into that. Social media, the pandemic, I touched on that a little bit. School shootings. Can you imagine not knowing if your school is going to be next? Also, it became a joke for a while. I don't know how much time you guys spend on social media yourself or on, with, with memes and things like that, but like there for a while, it was a joke to send something to people to say, ha, 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 I really like you. Don't come to school tomorrow. That was a joke. The question isn't, is Gen Z weak? The question is, how are they even still standing? Anyway, Gen Z has a few things that they value. And I promise all this will tie into deconstruction. Just hang with me. Gen Z has a few things that they value that are really important to them. But before I go into that, I want to ask you some things, because there's people here from different, different generations. What were some values that your generation held? What was important? Honesty, hard work, work. responsibility, Responsibility. not getting getting fooled, what was that? Dependability, Dependability. family, Family. community service, service. that's good. I think of respect, Mm -hmm. and I'm not saying Gen Z doesn't have respect, I'm talking about things that were really important to our generation, Mm -hmm. respect. All these are things that were valued by our generation and previous generations, but not every generation has the same values. Here are a few things that are important to Gen Z. Safety, acceptance, inclusion and tolerance, social justice, authenticity, truth, competition and accomplishments. And I want to break this down a little bit so if we can go to the next one. Safety means, importantly, physical safety, social safety, mental safety, spiritual safety. And we're all on board with that for the most part. There's some places where you take risks in those areas. But for the most part, I think us in this room would be on board with those. But that also includes safety from discomfort and from risk and from disagreement. it is a form of isolation. And essentially they sort everything into two categories. Safe, if something is safe, it is good, engage with that thing, enjoy that thing, be a part of that thing. If it is unsafe, run fast, run far. Don't be anywhere near it. And part of this we have put into them. Not to say that they didn't develop things on their own because every generation does. But have we ever heard of helicopter parenting? (laughs) That's become really big. Don't don't go hang out with those kids. They're not safe. Hey, when you're at school, don't sit at that table. It's not safe. Instead of letting people deal with the fact that people disagree, we say no, no, no. Those people are not safe because they're wrong. Think of our. I'm not taking sides on this. That's. They're not paying me to do this, so I'm not jumping into this topic, but think about our political sphere and how we treat people who disagree with us. You voted for so-and-so? I didn't. You must not be safe. There's something wrong with you. And then we wonder why our kids need safe spaces. Why they need a break, why they need a reprieve. So that's safety. Next. Acceptance, inclusion, Intolerance. So I'm gonna jump into social media again just a little bit. Social media always elevating the best, always elevating the greatest, always elevating what things should be. Did you know that your kids are making decisions about what's right and wrong in real time based on what they're seeing on social media? And part of it is because if they disagree, then they're wrong. They'll get left behind. There's a term that's happened in the past few years that I first heard a few years ago uh, called FOMO, F-O-M-O. stands for fear of missing out. Social media tells you that if you're not on this all the time, you're going to miss something and you're going to be left behind. If you ask a Gen Zer if they think social media is good for them, they're going to tell you no, it's not. They're going to say, I know. I know this is killing me. But if I miss something... That would be worse. They're also going to talk to you about cancel culture. We've seen that someone makes one mistake and they're done. And Gen Z will jump on that because that's what they're supposed to do. But imagine the fear of if you slip up, you could be the next one no one listens to anymore. Imagine the fear of you're the one that says something wrong one time and no one cares about you anymore. They want to feel included. They want to feel important. The big question they're asking with this is, will you accept me? Let me go to the next slide. So I knew this was gonna be a hot button uh, with social justice, and I know for some of us it conjures up images of riots and dismantling traditional values. And for some of us it conjures up images of fighting against um, institutional problems and standing up for whatever. And we may have a negative or positive connotation of social justice, but what it really boils down to is this, that human rights matter, that human beings are sacred, and that all human beings have some form of dignity that needs to be protected. That's really important to them. And by the way, if anyone can come to me with a secular reason for this, Let me know. Because to me, it boils down that Gen Z is really good at seeing the image of God in people, even if they don't realize that's what it is. They're really good at noticing God's image on His people. Another thing that I didn't put in here, because it's not directly relevant to what we're talking about, is they're really protective over nature. A lot of them are. And we can roll our eyes a bit at the the environmentalists, but... The idea is that God, one of the things he has given us to do is to steward his creation, and they care about that. It's like they see God, but they don't recognize him. It's like they're seeing his image, and they're seeing the beauty he has made, and saying, there's something about that I need to take care of, but I don't know what it is. Next slide, please. I had to sneak one picture of myself in. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really important to them. Authenticity is really important to them. Have any of you heard of the app Be Real? Yeah. Okay, here's the idea behind it. It's a social media app. <laughs> it's a social media app. It's a so- I, I love it. I think right. I'm on it as well. But it's a social media app that one time each day, it'll give you a notification to post. And you have two minutes to post. The idea is there's no staging your photos. There's no staging your posts. There's no prettying things up. What you're doing in those two minutes is what you're doing in those two minutes. And you cannot look at anyone else's post without posting your own first. The idea is it takes out any and all photoshopping, staging, the idea that social media only shows you the best, you only post your best moments on social media. This gets rid of it. Whatever you're doing in those two minutes is what you're doing. And by the way, if you don't post in those two minutes and you post late, everyone on your friends list gets a notification that you posted late. But the idea is, like, that's, that's authentic. Like, they, they're, they're, done with the, they're done with the staging. They're done with the prettying things up. They're done with the making things look good. They want real. We think of, like, Facebook is really big among, like, Gen X and millennials. And we have Instagram, which is big among millennials. Uh, and then we have to admit TikTok is a Gen Z thing. But, like, Gen Z came up with this. They want the real thing. They don't do shallow, which is why if they walk into a church with a smoke show and lasers and a watered-down gospel, they're not going to come back. They're not here for TED Talks with Bible verses attached. They want the real thing. Can we go to the next one, which ties into the next one. They care about truth. I'm going to share a story with you about a kid named Grayson. That guy right there in the yellow shirt's Grayson. You are the one whose face you can't see right now? (laughs) Um, trust me, he exists. But when I first met Grayson, he was a Gen Zer who wanted to believe but didn't think it made sense. He wanted to know it was true. He wasn't just going to take people's word for it. He was showing up at Young Life and he was interested in what we were saying. But he wanted to talk about it more. So him and I sat down for months, once a week. And we went through C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, and we talked about all his doubts. I told him to hit me with as many questions as he had. I also told him your answers won't save you, Jesus will. Only an encounter with Jesus will save you. But you should be allowed to ask your questions. And so every week we'd go through this book and you know, if, if, any of you, excuse me, if any of you have ever read it, Lewis pretty much attacks every argument that he could think of for why Christianity couldn't possibly be true and slowly proves it not using scripture but just using plain logic. And so... We went through this week by week, and he reached a point where he'd gotten a lot of his answers. I couldn't answer everything. I did tell him that, hey, I'll give you everything I've got. And I don't want to be those people who say, stop asking questions, but just have faith. But at some point, faith is important. Faith does come in. And the Bible tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. But I also believe, and I can't remember who said it. I want to say it's Calvin, but I couldn't find the quote, that the things that have been revealed to us, we are responsible for searching out. And Gen Z wants to search those things out. Gen Z won't just believe something because they're supposed to. They'll question everything that is sacred and important to what you believe. Not because they're being disrespectful, but because they want to make sure. They want to make sure. Grayson ended up giving his life to Jesus at summer camp that summer after a long time of wrestling with it. And then last summer, we used him as a junior leader to help lead other kids to Jesus. And now he's training to be a young life leader. And I'm not saying anything to pat myself on the back. I just did what I was supposed to, supposed to do, what's my job. But I imagine that if no one had taken the time to let Grayson ask his questions, that wouldn't have happened. Question is, can we handle questions? Can, that's a challenge to us in this room. If we know someone who's having these questions, can we handle them? And that doesn't mean can we give them the answer every time, but does that mean can we say, hey, I don't know, I'll look into it? Or are we going to be the kind of people that say, like, oh, you just need more faith, be quiet? Can we go to the next slide? Also, competition and accomplishments. We talk about social media always elevates the greatest. One thing that means is they're all striving to be that. In some way, they have to be better than their peer. Because if they're not, they're less than. And they're not important. There are a lot of wonderful things about our country. I'm not any sort of anti-America guy. We're not going to go into that. That's not me. But what I will say that's harmful about our culture is that we value productivity too much. It's important to produce things. It's important to get things done. But when you think your value is based on what you've accomplished, you're always trying to accomplish something else and you're never sure of who you are. And that's rearing its head in Gen Z. So I've got a list right here of things, of Gen Z's values and questions that they're asking. So here's some of the things that I just said that they're valuing and questions that they're asking. You know, safety, they're asking, am I safe? Acceptance and tolerance, they're asking, will you accept me? Social justice, they're asking, do all people matter to God? Authenticity, can I trust you? Truth, what is truth? Competition and accomplishments. Do I have value? And They're asking the question, am I worthy? And they're not asking it in the sense that we'll ask it and say, like, am I worthy? Well, of course not. That's why I'd have Jesus die for me. They're asking in the sense of, am I worth anything at all? So what I want to do, if it's okay, is just break us up into a few groups with whoever's sitting around you and tell me, how does the gospel answer these questions? How does Jesus answer these questions? What does he have to say about am I safe? Will you accept me? Do all people matter to God? Can I trust you? What is truth? Do I have value? So take five, ten minutes and just talk about that. Now yeah, let's, let's bring this back in. Can you get up front and do that? Can you? Alright. Hey guys, let's let's talk about this a little bit. Let's talk about this a little bit. Hey, Jim Z is often asking the question, am I safe? How is Jesus, how is the gospel responding to this question? so when they when they're referring to safety they're referring to of course things that we all think of safety as far as physical psychological socially and morally but they're also saying am i safe from discomfort am i safe from disagreement am i safe from risk those kinds of things so how how is the gospel responding to the question am i safe well will you tell Jesus and the gospel yeah by Your that Eternity is safe as well. Yes, yes. He talks about how they're redefining safe. And by their definition of safe, no, not really. No. They're, they're not safe from ridicule. They're not safe from disagreement. They're not safe from those things. But ultimately, in what matters most, yes, they are. Yes, they are. That's so good that the definition that they have of safety is a bit shallow, and there's no way to live a life that's completely safe by that definition. But there is a safety beyond their definition of safety. Has anyone read Chronicles of Narnia? I was gonna say Aslan's safe. Yeah. Well they asked the question, is, is is Aslan safe? And you've read it though, so what are they how do they respond? No, 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 not safe. No, he is not safe, but he's good. And ultimately through all the pressures of this world, throughout all the bad things that have happened, and the unavoidable unsafety based on their definition, there is one thing in existence, one person in existence, who is truly, ultimately, and finally safe. So, by their definition of safety, if they said to Jesus, am I safe? He would say, not the way you're thinking of it, but boy, yes, you are. How does Jesus respond to, will you accept me? I made you. He died for us. Whosoever. Whosoever. Come to me. Come to me. I don't know about you guys, but there's this book that I've read called The Bible. And <laughs> there seems to be a constant theme that whoever will come to Jesus will be accepted. And I love the story of Zacchaeus, and that Zacchaeus climbs this tree so he can just get a glimpse of Jesus, this tax collector who has defrauded so many people. Jesus looks up at him and says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to stay at your house tonight. And Zacchaeus comes down and says, whoever I've defrauded, I'll give back four times. It did not say, Zacchaeus promised to give back four times what I've taken, and then Jesus said, okay, I'll come hang out. Jesus accepts us just as we are. And another Lewis quote. Can you tell I read maybe two authors? Another Lewis quote that he loves us so much as we are but loves us too much to leave us that way but change comes through meeting Jesus change doesn't come to meet Jesus so Jesus looks at any Gen Zer, anyone from any generation in any state and they ask him the question, will you accept me? he's like, that's not even a question whoever, please, yes I do How does he answer? Do all people matter to God? (laughs) Yes. I don't need to elaborate. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Only people who are made in His image matter to Him. Keep that in mind. (laughs) Only people made in God's image matter to God. And only sinners. (laughs) And only sinners. Authenticity. Can I trust you? Kids are asking, Jesus, can I trust you? Yes. Yes. Yes, Yes, you absolutely can. Uh, What is truth? I I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You're looking for truth? You know, you can ask your questions or you can go to the source of all their answers. Competition and accomplishments. Do I have value? Do I matter? Jesus would say, more than you can even fathom. More than you will ever know. Tim Keller uh, wrote that the cross tells us two things. That our sin is worse than we could ever imagine, but we're loved more than we would ever dare hope. I don't know about you guys, but if I'm a Gen Zer asking these questions and I'm hearing these answers, where else would I go? Lord, you alone have the words of eternal life. This is everything I'm looking for. But we're not here to talk about how Gen Z is the most faithful generation in church history, are we? (laughs) And like, we laugh, but why is it the way that it is? Why is a lot of Gen Z not coming to church? And to tie it into deconstruction, why are Gen Zers who grew up in the church leaving? Why don't they want to be here anymore? Why is Gen Z the most increasingly secular generation in American history? Because the answers that we just said that Jesus gives these questions are not the answer his people are giving. Here's how the church has overwhelmingly responded to those questions. Am I safe? No, the church is harmful. Why is it harmful? Let's go to the rest of the questions. Will you accept me? We're too judgmental to be accepting people. We've got a lot to say about people whose sins don't look like ours. So, no, we're judgmental. Do all people matter to God? Only the right people, only the people with my politics. Only the people with my socioeconomic status. Only the people of my generation. Only the right people matter to God. Can I trust you? No, we're all a bunch of hypocrites. We say one thing, we do another. And I'm not talking about struggling with sin and saying, like, I do this thing, I know, I'm repenting of it, and I'm trying to get away from it. I'm talking about saying one thing and actively, happily, and satisfactorily, satisfyingly, doing another. Can I trust you? Absolutely not. (laughs) What is truth? Our teachings are irrelevant. Why would we know truth? We're backwards, we're stuck in the 1800s, 1700s, 1600s, stuck in the 50s, stuck in the 60s, stuck in the 70s. What do we know? Why would we have any truth? We're not really engaging with the modern world in any sort of meaningful way. Again, what I said before, I'm not saying this about people in this room unless the shoe fits. I'm not saying about this church I've been here for three years. I'm talking about the American church historically over the last hundred or so years. Do I have value? Hey, only if you're that right type of person. If these questions really matter to Gen Z, and those are our answers... The question isn't, why are they walking away? The question is, why would they stay? To close this out, I uh, looked, does anyone know who Barna, the Barna Research Group is? They did a study in 2018. They're a group uh, that does surveys and statistics and research for churches. That kind of go out and survey people and survey the landscape and come back with, okay, you know, 80% of so and so is doing this, this and such thing. Well, they did a survey and they did a study on Gen Z back in 2018. And there are statistics on all of Gen Z, but I'm going to focus on what Gen Zers who are in the church, Christian Gen Zers, were thinking as of 2018. If we can go to the next slide. 49% of them claim that the church seems to reject what science tells us about the world. If you ask me, the Bible has meaningful answers to scientific questions at times. The Bible is not a science textbook, it's not here to tell us every detail, but it's also, I don't think through the research that I've done, debunked by scientific claims. What this tells me is the church is not responding to questions. The church is not engaging doubts. 38% claim that the church is way too overprotective of teenagers that we see teenagers leaving, so let's hoard the ones we got and tell them not to go out anywhere. And then COVID happened. And then COVID happened. And then it's like, if they don't go to a Christian college, we're like, well, that one's gone. 36% believe that the church is hypocritical. And these, like I said, these are church-going Christian teens. This one breaks my heart. Not that they're not all heartbreaking, but this one really gets me. 27% feel the church is not a safe place to express their doubts. Which is telling me that they're not going to go to the church to ask their questions. And why are we surprised when they come back with non-Christian answers when they can't ask us? 24% 24% feel that the church's teaching is excuse me, shallow. And I am not condemning any church that does anything in a certain way at all, but when your church is smoke shows and lasers and here's your sermon that's supposed to make you feel good about your life and attach a few Bible verses to make it Christian. Like I'm not saying the Bible does not encourage us I'm not saying the Bible does not affirm us in several ways, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the sermon that expresses God's love towards us and makes us feel secure in Him. But when there is no substance whatsoever, that's a problem. And 24% feel that way about the church. And as a result, 61% of Christian teenagers believe that they can follow Jesus without the church. which the Bible teaches us the importance of the community that is the church. We're going to talk in the coming weeks specifically about some reasons why people are leaving the church and get into specifics, and we're going to talk about solutions to those things. But right now, it's just important to me and to Joe to see these things. To see what these generations are thinking, to see what might be causing them to leave. Gen Z is leaving the church and deconstructing and leaving their faith because the things that they value and the questions that they're asking are not being answered here. And if they are being answered, they're not often being answered in the way Jesus would answer them. And so they go elsewhere. Um, that's all I have to say. Do you have anything to add? No, I, 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 I can't. Yeah. Yes, please. Uh, you guys didn't do a handout this week, but would you share this somehow, either on the church website or yeah, well, print it out for
1: next week?
0: Or something? Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of great stuff in here. We family. got a bunch of boomers that like paper. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is the problem with your generation. <laughs> We are going to edit this uh, slideshow. Just Just taking the the pictures out. Taking some of the pictures out. Uh, We're going to edit the slideshow, and we will put it online for you to see. And I know that some of you want paper, so we might print print, some copies. I'll I'll make sure we have printed copies next week for sure. Uh, We have another question? It's, It's an ironic thing, isn't it? (laughs) Part of it, yes, absolutely, is sin. And that's something else I want to address. With all these reasons kids are leaving, we can't discount the fact that kids are sinful. (laughs) Like, (laughs) what I was getting ready to say is, so are we, so we can't say anything, but people walking away from the church is nothing new. People walking away in mass, uh, there might be more than just sin involved. But to you... Another answer to your question, I would say, is a lot of the people who are getting canceled are the people who are not including. And so there's an irony in the fact that people are being canceled because they said such and such about this group of people. And it's good that we call that out. It's good that we say that's wrong, but there's a level of we're taking this too far, and now because you're not an inclusive person, you don't get included. It's a little ironic, but... So the kids that I work with If you ask them about cancer culture, they're not with it. But of course, I'm working with kids in Goochland County uh, who do hold these values. I'm not saying kids in Goochland are like immune from this, but there is a level of like not every kid thinks the same way. This is a more of a generic, here's what's in general going on. There are kids who are not that way. There are not kids with these issues. There are not kids who value these same things, but in general. And so my kids in Goochland, if I asked them what they thought about cancel culture, they would laugh at me for bringing it up. There's difference between rural, urban, suburban, racial differences, political differences, socioeconomic differences. But overall, these are the values that they're holding. Does that, does that answer your question? Yeah, that's part of, like I said, with your first language being digital and your, all your community is digital. If you don't have that digital, you've got no one. Like even if someone's sitting across the table, you may not even know how to talk to them. Now, not all kids are in that extreme boat of I can't talk without my phone, but their primary world is right there. And so I imagine like if someone picked one of us off and dropped us off in a foreign country where we knew nobody, like, we wouldn't be able to interact. Now, it's not that extreme in most cases with kids, but that's just an example. Were there other questions? I think I saw one more hand. I think it was yours. Yeah, there's a, there's a quote in one of these. Oh, here it is. It says, The deconstruction movement often prides itself on ambiguity, the idea of journeying spiritualists as a bird in flight, never settling on one concrete idea, always in motion. But everyone has a theological position on everything. It may not be logical or carefully conceived, but we have them nonetheless. And here's to your point. It sounds also modern to chase after a worldview that lovingly welcomes the tension of every different mode of thinking and spirituality, but no one actually lives that way. So the idea that it does sound modern and in postmodern culture, it is something where it's like, well, there's no real absolute truth. Both of these things can be true at the same time. For your generation, and even for me personally, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. But a fish doesn't know it's wet. That's just the reality it lives in. Yeah. He mentioned Romans 7, where Paul says he has the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry out. And he says that he sees a lot of that in what we've talked about here today. And one thing that struck me as I listened to Dr. Maddox talk about this, and as I read a few articles, was that. If this generation gets a hold of Jesus, or Jesus gets a hold of them, rather, like, they get it. They're knocking on the door. (laughs) They just don't know how to open it. Our job as the church and as people who are already Christians is to show them how to open the door and then to help them walk through it. So these are these are all all these are all Christians. There's a lot of data on non-Christians, but these stats right here these are in a survey of Christian Gen Zers. These are how Christian Gen Zers are thinking. Now I don't. That's the 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 claim is being Christian. Now what, how they feel about the Bible and how they feel about loving Jesus, or whether they just show up to church because they're supposed to, or whether they claim the label. I can't answer that question. But I have to assume that there probably are some people in there who just claim the label Christian, but I also have to assume there are probably some kids in there who've grown up in the church and do know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want to offer, like, I have this sudden sense of optimism about what you said about knocking on the door. Like, this could be like a revival that gets unleashed because of all the priming that's happened. here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want, to, I want to think about that possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a big theme we're going to discuss, not just with Gen Z, but with deconstruction in general. There are, uh, Josh Porter describes what he calls the five great predators that pick people off and pull them away from Christianity. Three of the five have to do with us who are already Christians. There are two that aren't us, and we'll talk about those as well, but three of the five have to do with us. I was listening to a podcast on it, and same guy, Josh Porter, Um, and his story he almost deconstructed because he came from an extremely racist uh, fundamentalist church in the deep south and he talks about how he cannot think of a single person who is deconstructed fully deconstructed who did not come from some sort of fundamentalist background when we give healthy biblical answers people will still walk away because sin still exists but we don't see a movement check the time it's it's time it's uh let me check all right hey guys i'm gonna pray for us um and i just appreciate you guys being here thank you so much uh for allowing me to talk to you guys for a few minutes all right lord thank you so much for this time thank you for your word thank you for your son and for your gospel that answers our questions with the best possible answers and thank you for caring enough and loving enough and being graceful enough to bring us close when we wanted to run away. Lord, would you do the same for those deconstructing? Would you do the same for the millennials deconstructing and for the Gen Z deconstructing? And would you empower us to give the answers that you give while also bringing us near as well? Lord, we love you and we thank you and we just ask that you'd be with us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.